continue a little bit, if I may, with this reflection on metta. Um, my understanding is that metta has its roots in the word metri, which is to befriend, to be a friend to, and to cultivate um, this quality of befriending, this quality of kindness, of friendliness. I'm also told that this word metri has its roots in an earlier word, which actually translates as to grow fat with kindness. <laughs> which I really rather like. You know, that's growing fat with kindness. Hmm? Um, I'd like to read to you, if, if I may, the, some of you will be very familiar with this, but one translation of the Discourse on Metta, which is actually found within one of the, what's recognized as one of being the earliest teachings of the Buddha. To reach the state of peace, one skilled in the good will be capable and upright, straightforward and easy to speak to, gentle and not proud, contented and easily supported, living lightly, wise and with senses calmed, not arrogant and without greed for supporters, and would not do the least thing that the wise would later criticize, reflecting, may all beings be happy and secure, may all beings be happy-minded. All beings, whether weak or strong, tall, large, medium or short, small or big, seen or unseen, near or distant, born or to be born, may they all be happy-minded. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere. Let no one, through anger or hatred, wish for others to suffer. As a mother would risk her, her own life to protect her child, her only child, so for all beings, one should guard one's boundless heart. With friendliness for the whole world, cultivating a boundless heart, above, below, and all around, without obstruction, without hate, and without ill will, standing or walking, sitting or lying down, whenever one is awake, may one stay with this recollection. This is called the most noble way of living in this world, here and now. And I think in this discourse, what the Buddha is doing is making, as Sharon mentioned yesterday, uh, such a strong link between mindfulness and metta, that establishing this recollection, establishing metta as actually a quality of sati. Now, there is a lot, of course, to say about metta, but I think it is very important that not to sense these practices of vipassana and metta as being these separated practices. They are actually so interwoven. And as we know in mindfulness-based applications, this quality of kindness, this quality of befriending is considered to be the most essential attitude of all of the development of mindfulness. In the latest edition of the Green Book that some of you will be familiar with, the sort of Bible of MBCT, um, you know, there, there is a chapter now that is dedicated to these qualities of metta and compassion, really even suggesting that mindfulness without metta can even be dangerous and harmful. 
in the sense that had the way in which mindfulness so much highlights what is going on inwardly, that without this attitude of befriending and kindness, that for some people could feel almost unbearable. Hmm? And they could feel, you know, I was better off not knowing what was actually going on. And certainly in, <coughs> in the Buddhist tradition, uh, metta is really considered to be <coughs> excuse me, the underlying attitude of all meditative deepening and all meditative development. Now, as Sharon mentioned yesterday, we're not talking here about an emotion. We're talking about these different dimensions that are really held within this cultivation, and it is a cultivation. Certainly, the primary aspect of this cultivation is learning to incline the mind towards, to incline the heart towards. I often think of the way mindfulness and metta are interwoven, that mindfulness is turning towards what is present in the moment, and metta is a way of standing next to. We don't have to like it. We don't have to love it but we may be able to stand next to it and embrace all things with this attitude of kindness. So it is cultivating a relational attitude towards all things. Certainly part of the development of metta holds within it this element of of, of concentration, of one-pointedness, of focus. By coming back to the phrases, one is developing that kind Kind, kindly pervading intentionality, hmm? that kindly pervading focus. And in some ways of using meta practice, when the phrases are used uh, in a more co-joined way, you know, more close to each other, there's actually quite a strong concentration element in that. And I think one thing that's underestimated is the way in which this actually protects the mind from obsession and rumination. And metta is often presented as being a kind of guardian of the mind, a guardian of the heart, because clearly we're not thinking two thoughts at the same time. And, you know, in, in those moments when the mind is prone to go into rumination or obsession, by coming back to the phrases, one is actually restoring a quality of intentionality that actually probably serves one bit one's well-being better than rumination and obsession. Which doesn't really serve one's well-being very much, but there's also very much, of course. I, I mean, the heart of of this development of metta as an insight practice is really to do with the uprooting of aversion. This is what it's primarily concerned with, and certainly the biggest shift that I ever see people make in meditation, and I understand, uh, you know the biggest shift that people ever make in mindfulness-based applications is this shift from aversion to befriending. And this is a verb. You know, it's not loving it. It's not, it's not having to, you know, think something is wonderful. But the shift from aversion to befriending is so powerful because aversion, of course, is, is abandonment, it's fear, it's pushing away, it, 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 it's disconnection, it, it, it's, it's undermining confidence, it's all of those things. And so metta is learning to turn that tide towards embracing what is, including what is, 
rather than the patterns of aversion that can be so powerful and so destructive inwardly and outwardly. Now, this is one other element of metta practice that I would like to introduce today because traditionally, you know, we use the human domains of self, benefactor, friend, neutral person, difficult person, all beings, as Sharon very much talked about yesterday. Um, But I would just like to add something else in here as an insight practice, that metta practice is not concerned only with the human domains. Metta, the cultivation of metta, is concerned with any moment in which aversion appears. And that is not isolated to our human relationships, is it? I mean, we can have considerable aversion for our sore back our sore knee, the sound we don't like, the experience or the event that we feel that we can't bear. These are the places where aversion arises, the the pushing away. And my own sense in in developing metta practice is that there is a very real way and a very important way that metta practice is used to befriend all events and experience as well as the human domains. But, I mean, you you, you think about it a little bit, you know, in your own experience, you know, that perhaps, you know, we're doing the metta practice and, you know, we're focusing on a benefactor and our shoulder is killing us. And we're saying, "Uh uh-uh you know, hate this, you know, it's interrupting my meta practice. Uh, you know, that, that kind of is not making a lot of sense. But when meta is changing or moving into embracing this domain of events and experiences, where there is aversion or fear and anxiety, clearly the phrases change. The phrases change because they need to become more relational. And it might be something like, may I be peaceful in the midst of this, in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this this heartache. May I live with ease and kindness in the midst of this. And allowing that to be part of that cultivation of befriending, of, of, of welcoming, of including. Um, Yes, so, so actually I really encouragement to, to really sense that in your day, what it does mean to make that shift whenever aversion is experiencing. Experience. I mean, I, I would mention that, you know, I mean, research shows that in a lot of contemporary mindfulness-based applications, um, you know, some uh, formal use of meta practice can actually be counterproductive for people. Um, because when it is used in, in human domains, I mean, you can imagine if you were very depressed or feeling very bereft, very abandoned, you know, and you reflect on benefactors, your first thought might be, I don't have any, you know, or I don't have any friends. And, of course, in some very distressed states, that in itself can be a trigger for, for more rumination, you know, and for the increasing of those difficult states. So one has to, you know, you know, I think there's a difference here between how we employ this in our personal practice and how this translates into a therapeutic world that actually does require quite some considerable care, I would suggest. But of course, here we are concerned with our 
personal practice and the deepening of that. And most of us are not short of opportunities to glimpse a moment or two of aversion in our days. Um, you know, whether it is directed outwardly, of course, or whether it is directed inwardly in that very lethal form of self-blame and self-judgment and inner shaming. Uh, so, or whether it's directed towards, you know, the ping of the radiator. The content doesn't really matter. It's kind of learning to map this impulse of aversion and to really sense the effect of what aversion does to us and to our place of inhabiting the moment because aversion is pretty much the proximate cause of dissociation. It's good to notice that. It's pretty much the proximate cause of dissociation and how much in those moments we can start to map that in our own experience and whether it's possible to turn that tide of aversion into one of this verb of befriending, this process of befriending, of standing near to. So again, just uh, taking our seat, please. (coughs) Establishing that quality of, of present moment recollection of inhabiting our bodies, inhabiting this moment. And as you do so, just feeling the life of the body, also being mindful of whatever mood or mental state is present right now, whether the heart-mind feels heavy or burdened or agitated or light or spacious or calm, a simple knowing. A knowing in the body of what feels well, what feels uncomfortable or painful, Simple knowing, the willingness to turn towards, to stand near to. Sense of establishing ourselves in an attitude of befriending, of gentleness, of care of tenderness. And broadening the the field of your awareness just to sense the people who sit on either side of you, those in front of you, those behind. Everyone in this room, this building. An appreciation of our our shared, our very human story of longing for happiness, for peace. 
and the measures of affliction and struggle each of us meets in this life, of loss, of pain, of difficulty. And in sensing the presence of all of those around you, just really offering a quality of appreciation for everyone's practice, their silence, their commitment, their sincerity. And just as much as feels able, is offering that intentional kindness metta. <coughs> May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you live with ease and with kindness. also being aware in this moment of those intentions and that kindness being offered to you from all of those around. Being able to receive the warmth, the friendliness of another. May we be peaceful. May we live with ease and with kindness. And as you plant those seeds of intention, really taking moments to listen inwardly to whatever responses arise, whatever they are, to those phrases, to those intentions. cultivating that felt sense 
of your own body, mind, heart, experience of this moment. What is well, what is challenging, the discomforts, the places of ease, the thoughts, the emotions, making that inner offering, that generosity. May I be peaceful. May I live with ease and with kindness. Again, that inner listening, receptivity to how those phrases land, whatever responses arise. May I be peaceful in the midst of this. May I live with ease and with kindness in the midst of this.
bringing to mind now someone from your present or your past for whom there's even a glimmer of appreciation of gratitude. A person in your life who's encouraged you, supported you, inspired you. And as much as you're able to just remembering that person or visualizing them, And as you do so, just mindful inwardly of whatever response arises in the face of that recollection or that visualizing. And sustaining that connection as much as you're able to. Just offering those heartfelt wishes for their happiness, their well-being. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. Perhaps being mindful, too, of the ways that you are your own benefactor. The moments when you can follow your your deepest intentions, embody your deepest aspirations. And the moments, too, when you have been our benefactor to others. unhesitatingly offering support and care, acceptance and compassion.
widening the field of your attention to reflect for some minutes on a person you think of as a good friend that you can rely on whether it's acceptance, care, whether our smiles, whether can be tears without blame, where there is trust and confidence. And again, just remembering that person or visualizing them, perhaps remembering the last time you were together. Again, sensing whatever response arises inwardly with that remembering. And offering just as much as you're able as you sustain that recollection, your heartfelt wishes for their happiness, their well-being. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. reflecting too on the ways and the moments in which you're truly a good friend to yourself. Caring, honoring, sensitive. And the moments when you are a good friend to another.
And bringing to mind a recollection of someone to whom you feel more indifferent. Those that we don't see. Might be someone here. A person who cooks our food. Someone on the retreat. Might be a neighbor person in a corner store, those that we pass by. And as much as you can, just recollecting, remembering just one of those people, sensing a very human story of longing, of fearing, seeking for acceptance, for care. (coughs) And again, offering those same intentions. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. And also sensing the moments and ways that actually we can be indifferent towards ourselves. Neglectful or not caring, not listening inwardly. And again, a way of befriending, of bringing the more invisible into the visible. The body, the mind, the heart. May I be peaceful. May I live with ease and with kindness in the midst of this. 
in the midst of this life, in the midst of this world. And again, in the last few minutes of the sitting, really expanding your awareness to include everyone in this room, this building, yourself included. May we be peaceful. May we live with ease and with kindness. So too, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings live with ease and with kindness. So I wanted to take a little bit of time now. Um, If there's anything that you want to reflect on or have any questions about, maybe uh, even more particularly around uh, the cultivation of of metta. Yes. One of your barriers, yes. Yeah. So it was just a reflection. Hmm. Yeah. It was. It was a reflection that, with one of the hindrances that has been felt to be really a barrier that the capacity to befriend that rather than feeling that it has to disappear is actually a huge relief. And quite honestly, sometimes that shift is the beginning of the kind of unsticking of that hindrance. It's so interesting the way that aversion in its endeavor to actually get rid of something often solidifies the very thing that we're trying to get rid of. This is quite counterproductive.
<laughs> as a mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Is meta primarily a sitting uh, technique, or can you do it walking? Everywhere. Everywhere. I, 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 uh, the, one, the thing that I love about uh, the cultivation of metta is its mobility. Uh, I mean, aversion is hardly confined to sitting practice. Um, but, you know, as a life practice, there are so many moments when we recoil. You know, uh, whether it's in the traffic jam, you know, whether it, it, it's in the supermarket, you know, whether it's in the person who's speaking too loudly in the store, you know, whether it's the person who's crunching popcorn in the movie, you know, there are so many moments where we're prone to recoil into that most, one of the most embedded human emotional patterns of aversion. And actually, just to really experiment, you know, to have metta as a resource to experiment within those moments. Oh, what is, you know, okay, the recoil happens, but maybe even there's metta for the aversion. You know, rather than feeling it's always metta for the person or the thing I'm resisting or recoiling from, not to exclude aversion. For, you know, because if there's anything that aversion asks for, it is this quality of befriending rather than judging, blaming, shaming. Ah, what does aversion look like in those moments? You know, maybe it's possible to stand near to the aversion and, and to cultivate that quality of befriending for the aversion itself rather than only for the thing that the aversion's directed towards. So it's remarkably mobile. And, and I often feel in a silent retreat, it's so important. You know, there's, there's so many ways that our pathways cross during the day, you know, in the dining room, you know, in the work period, you know. And, and it, it, there's something actually about moving through this space, you know, about, oh, you know, may you be peaceful, you know. May you live with ease and with kindness rather than get out of my way, you know. Or, you know, just, just that, set, that those shifts inwardly, you know, and, and you really get a sense of what it feels like to make just those little attitudinal shifts in a moment. Hmm? And, and those little attitudinal shifts, you know, because when, when we talk about actually metta or compassion or equanimity or joy, we talk about boundless metta. But actually, we start with bounded metta. You know, so actually we're starting in those bite-sized pieces and, and just making those little attitudinal shifts and they start to have a life of their own. You know, I, I sometimes I see, talk to people, you know, doing meta practice over an extended period of time and they say, they wake up in the morning, it's their first thought. And that's something remarkable, you know, that that's my first thought. So absolutely, really being... Just as generous as you can be with the metta. You know, any moment, any moment of aversion, any moment of disconnection or recoil, uh, that's a moment to stand still and, ah, there may be a different way of relating to this. Hmm? Um, um, I have moments of aversion, but I have many more moments of craving. And I was imagining using metta with those moments as well, of befriending myself in the midst of that craving, befriending what I'm craving, perhaps. I don't know. But I'm imagining that it could really be 
very significant for craving as well. So the question was around meta, around the, the impulse of craving, which you say is stronger for you than the impulses of aversion. I mean, it's pretty useful to recognize, certainly in Buddhist psychology and in our own experience, craving and aversion are interwoven tendencies. Yeah. You know, craving is a kind of aversion. An aversion is a kind of craving. One, we want something to go away, and the other, we want this to go away so we can have this, or we want this, so that, you know. So it, it's very important to recognize these are interwoven patterns. They're not, they're not separate. Aversion is a kind of suffering. Craving is a kind of suffering. Metta is a, is a means and a pathway really to alleviate that suffering of discontent, of disconnection, of insufficiency, of, of all of those compulsions. So whenever those moments of discontent are present, you know, to, 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 you know, we're so used to following the pathway as well. You know, I'll fix this, or I'll, is this a solution for it, or I'll be happy when I get this. Metta is an abiding, okay? It's an abiding within what is, with that relationship of befriending, because the alternative, as most of us experience in ourselves, is, is that very familiar voice of self-criticism, self-judgment, self-blame, which is kind of the secondary reaction that I shouldn't be feeling this. It doesn't, we're not condoning craving, by standing near to it. We're not condoning aversion by standing near to it. But by establishing a relationship with it, it's almost met as a way of establishing a dialogue with the difficult, rather than just simply wanting it to, to be annihilated or, or to disappear. You know, and in that sense, you know, we're not talking about metta as a state here. We are talking about a relational way of being. To me, those are two very different words. And then when you flipped it and it, we were doing it towards ourselves, it seemed almost like something you were neglectful about. And that's, again, a, a different concept. And so I really struggle because it's the one I can't find. I, I love the mailman. No, I love the mailman. He loves my dog. And, that, and it just like... And it's not like... I can find enemies, but I can't find... <laughs> yeah, I can find lots of people I love. Okay, so the question, yeah. Okay, so the question is around this this domain of meta that I introduced today, around the person that is neutral, or we feel more indifferent towards. We don't like them. We don't dislike them. Hmm? Now, of course, people struggle with this because we don't remember the people (laughs) that we feel more neutral towards (laughs) because we don't see them. Because our attention skips over them. I mean, you think about the people that, you know, the, the likes, the dislikes, the loves, the hates. These are generally relationships where we have a shared story. 
even if that shared story is about my dog, you know. We have some kind of shared story, you know. And that shared story generally is our way of building relationship, isn't it? You know, I, I like the same football team as you, you know. I hate the same kind of hamburger as you, you know. We've got something to build on here. You know, the neutral person or the person we feel more indifferent towards, and I, I would actually link those together, are generally the people that we have no shared story with. So often what happens is our attention skims over the surface of them. Now, I would really encourage you to look at the relationship between the more neutral person in meta practice and neutral Vedana. Okay, neutral Vedana tones. Okay, so our attention is really drawn towards the pleasant. It's really drawn towards the unpleasant. It's actually said that 80% of our experience lives within the neither. Lives within, let me just finish it. It lives within the neither, neither pleasant nor unpleasant of our sensory impressions. Now again, with the pleasant and the unpleasant, we have a personal story. You know, I really like this, it makes me feel good. You know, I want more of it, I don't like this, it really makes me feel bad, I want to get rid of it. With much of what is going on that's actually neither pleasant nor pleasant, we just don't notice it. At this moment, there's probably all kinds of parts in our body that are neither pleasant nor unpleasant. If you look around in your kind of sensory impressions at this moment, I'm not particularly excited about the color of the walls. So what happens is we have... We have mostly in our lives a stimulation-bound attention. And this is clear, you know. What stimulates our attention is the Vedana tone, the feeling tone, particularly the pleasant, the unpleasant. Now, I personally think this is one of the most profound parts of insight practice and one of the most profound parts of, of metta practice. Because, say, with the metta practice, we're not trying to imagine a story, oh, because I know that person, they must have, you know, all of these people, all these difficulties. I'm actually just seeing them. I'm actually just seeing, I'm paying attention. Now, when you pay attention in your sensory experience to that, which is living in the neither ground of neither pleasant or unpleasant, it doesn't stay that way, does it? It doesn't stay that way. It doesn't stay that way because it comes alive through inwardly generated attention rather than stimulation-driven attention. This, this is why you have trouble, and this is a good trouble. This is a good trouble because this is the shift we're making in mindfulness towards an inwardly generated attentiveness rather than a stimulation-bound attentiveness. Okay, so when you actually really bring, if I bring my attention to the walls, they don't stay neutral. You know, they and the reason they don't stay neutral is because the very nature of inwardly generated mindfulness is actually pleasant. It has its own Vedana tone. It's curious, it's connected, you know. So there's an aliveness to it. So actually that which is indifferent, whether it's in the world of people or whether it's in the world of our sensory field, is actually that which is kind of dead to us because of our lack of attention. And the moment the attention is brought, anything comes to life. It doesn't have to be the dramatic. It doesn't have to be the gratifying. And so, you know, in, in the meta practice, it's kind of like moving out of this world, which is only based on shared story 
or, you know, on shared history or, you know, my personal relationship to you. And it's actually seeing someone, I have no idea who they are. You know? But the moment I pay attention, they come alive for me. So the wall, I agreed with you. Right behind you is this gorgeous reflection on this blank wall of the flowers. And so suddenly it changes. So are you saying it's okay that it's really fluid and dynamic right, right there like that? Vedana and metta is very fluid and dynamic right like that. And actually, what, what we're actually trying to do is it, with, with this practice, particularly with mindfulness practice, in a way it's reclaiming all those lost moments, those moments that are lost simply because of the loss of attention and the loss of connection. And, and, and you know, there's a lot that disappears in that, things like boredom, you know, disinterest, you know, inertia, uh, dullness. You know, there's a lot that actually disappears in that shift. So, you know, my own sense is that I'm not convinced that there's anything in this world that is neutral. There's only that which I don't pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. It ter- doesn't matter in terms of what you bring to it? No, it, it, it's, it's just important to acknowledge that, that often the places where metta feels or that quality of befriending seems most absent or most broken are often in our deepest historical relationships, often within families, um, you know, within people that we've grown up with. This, this is no doubt about that. And that's actually where the absence of metta is felt to be so pain, most painful. In, because in a way, you know, we, we have the connection, but we don't have the connection. And so, and, and, and then you mentioned, you know, this is a place, you know, with, with this fracture, this rupture, where you feel it the most difficult to do metta for this person. I would give up the idea of doing metta for this person. I don't think metta, first of all, is something, you know, and I think this is sometimes a kind of construct that we've somehow inherited or heard that we do metta for someone or we send metta to someone. I, I, I think there's a way of reframing that. First of all, I don't think we are doing metta. I think we are cultivating a certain attitudinal relationship to all things, including the sense of the rupture and the painfulness of that whatever is arising there. Hmm? 
and and it is just acknowledging that 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 rupture you know is often really bereft of befriending and kindness it's often occupying this almost like this world of its own so it's it's actually the metta in this case is actually for that sense of rupture and the painfulness of that now in this you 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 cannot actually choose to do metta for this person or that metta what we're actually doing is cultivating an inclination of the heart and that capacity and the courage and the strength to befriend that which is most difficult and most abandoned so very often, you know, and of course we would like a healing of those ruptures. So people are often, you know, really trying, and sometimes the trying is our worst enemy. And, and in some ways it's so important to be cultivating that inclination. It's often why metta starts in the places that are easiest, because we're building up that capacity, that capacity to befriend, you know. Often start, start with what's really simple, what's really easy. Begin to get a taste of that. Now, it's interesting the way that, the, the, the kind of way that meta actually, oh gosh, I'm really going on here. Just the way that meta works, if I could give you a sense of this. I mean, think of what happens, say, like when you reflect on a good friend or a benefactor. What you're actually bringing to mind is a memory, Okay, it's a memory. It's just it's just an image. It's a picture or a recollection. Now that memory, that image, is not emotionally neutral. Huh? There's an emotion tied in with that memory. So often you bring to mind someone who's a benefactor and what arises, or a good friend, and what arises with it is the associated memory pattern of warmth, of tenderness, of care. So you're actually in meta practice. You are bringing the past into the present, the emotional tone arises in the present, then we establish ourselves in that present moment, emotional tone, and we're actually building on it by sustaining connection with it. Okay? So there's a you know there's actually a kind of process that's going on here. So we're starting out with what is accessible and we're building upon that capacity. Now we and, and you know so you can't choose when those memories might arise of your brother or whatever, you know, and, and the rupture that is there. And that's not an emotionally neutral memory. In it, that comes up with the emotionally neutral, emotionally associated memory of pain, of, of you know whatever the of painful emotions. So again, those emotions are appearing in the present, associated with something that has happened in the past. You mean your brother's not here right now? I don't think. So, so you, you know, so you're, again, that is the past reappearing in the present. Now, the way that meta practice is working is really looking at what is being built upon in that re- that appearance, because the associated memories may be one of anxiety or or aversion or or betrayal or whatever. Now, that emotional tone can be built upon without mindfulness through obsession, through rumination, through thought, through feeding of it. So what's happening is when that, um, that memory does appear along with its emotional tone, we're actually responding to that with a different emotional tone that we are learning to develop. So actually learning to befriend that difficult <coughs> emotional tone. Is, it, is that clear? That, that is actually the process of how meta is working. Can I say it again? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
Okay, so the process of metta is you are recalling, say, a dear friend or a benefactor into the present. They're not, they may not be here right now, but there's an emotional tone associated with that recollection. So we're actually learning through sustaining the connection with that emotional tone to build upon it so it becomes a present moment recollection rather than a past one. Now, similarly, there are all kinds of memories that arise in the present of difficult fractured, painful people, relationships are our lives, they arise in the present. They're also, of course, not emotionally neutral. They bring the past emotional tone into the present. The emotions of sadness, the emotions of grief, the emotions of injury. So in that moment of those appearance of those associated emotional tones, there, with mindfulness there is a choice that we're either going to feed those past appearing emotional tones in the present, through thought, obsession, rumination, speculation, anxiety, or with the development of metta, we're learning a different way of turning towards those past difficult appearing emotional tones by befriending them and approaching them (coughs) with kindness and with care and shifting. And that is why in Buddhist psychology often the healing of the past happens through the healing of the present. Thank you. So we have a uh, walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.